Segabits presents Sega Talk, a podcast talking all things with your hosts, George and Barry. Look, it's a giant talking egg. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the master Hello and welcome to the Sega Talk Podcast. I'm Barry, with me is George. Hello everyone. And George, I can't see, but what color is your shirt? Blue. Baby blue. Damn. I'm why? blue too. I was hoping we'd have a blue and red thing going on here. The reason why is because we are talking about Gunstar Superheroes, or GSH as I call it throughout the show notes, because I'm not typing that out every time. But um, yeah, why did we pick this game? Well, um, Ball was kind of in my court. We sometimes go back and forth if we don't have a Patreon suggestion. But if you do want to suggest a show, you can uh, join our Patreon at the, I believe, $20 level. You can pick the show. And the great thing is, is you just let that go for one month. You pick the show you want. and You can revert it back to a lower level if you see fit. Of course, we always appreciate a little more, but we understand that not everyone can do that every month. But... Like I said, if you want to pick one episode for us to cover, you know, whatever game, Sega event, console you want, hit us up on patreon.com slash segabits. There's some other tiers there too, but let's get into the show here. So I picked this because we have not talked about a Game Boy Advance game yet, and I was really excited to cover something, and I believe you suggested this game. to me. Yeah. Yes. And uh, the great thing is, is I own it, you own it, in mm-hmm. fact... You said you have your Game Boy Advance with you. I have mine here. Oh, yes. So look how cool we are. And we're going to be talking about the Game Boy Advance pretty soon here. But first, let's kick off the show with the uh, little factoids about the game. So Gunstar Superheroes, known as Gunstar Future Heroes in (laughs) Europe. Yep. Uh, Little aside, you know, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was called the Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles over there. Like, what's with them and changing names? I don't know. They just want to uh, make everything harder for us when we talk about for it. For sure. They want us to go, oh, the Mega Drive Genesis. Thankfully, that's the only time we have a little name change here. Yeah. Uh, this game was released in October, November 2005 for the Game Boy Advance. It was Treasure's sequel to 1993's Gunstar Heroes, which was Sega Talk number 35. So you can go back and listen to that. Um, Treasure had a self-professed aversion to sequels which makes Superheroes and the 2004 GBA sequel to Guardian Heroes called Advanced Guardian Heroes quite a surprise to fans. Still, it could be argued that because both that game and this game are more like reworked remakes than direct sequels, Treasure has stuck to their guns in not making direct sequels. So before we discuss our memories of Gunstar Superheroes, Like I said, you know, it's worth discussing the Game Boy Advance itself because this is our first GBA show on Sega Talk, and I don't think we're doing a GBA-focused, like, hardware episode. Of course not. So, before we get into the game, I just want to talk about that. So, first off, what are your thoughts on the platform? What was your first model? Where does it rank amongst all the handhelds? And... What are your recommended games? You you run through those, and then I will go. Oof, recommended. Dude, there's so many games on the Game Boy Advance that, like, to even have three recommended games, I would be like... Yeah. Gunstar Superheroes, for sure, is a recommended game. I think a lot of people underestimate the game. And I, I mm-hmm. have heard that it's called a, I guess, 
uh, a reworking of the original, but I think they have a lot of little like interesting things in here, like a, the shoot 'em up top level and like a few other things they do in here that use the what the Game Boy Advance was pretty good at. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Effect wise, yeah. uh, my first uh, model of the Game Boy was the original model, which I actually prefer, but I dislike that it obviously does not have a backlight. So that's why I actually mm -hmm. went and bought one modded with a backlight. That's the one I use right now. Um, oh, beautiful. You hear it? Um, yeah, I do. Um, so, yeah, I use it. And especially for this game, I feel like the SP, which I kind of li I, I liked it when it came out, but those um, the L and the right button are really hard to hit all the time, right? And it, and it makes your hands hurt, and you really need that in Gunstar Heroes. So um, I do like the extra space that uh, the uh, Game Boy does. I think the buttons aren't perfect. I wish they were higher quality. Uh, but besides that, I really love it, and I actually like it more than the, the DS and the 3DS because I like the idea that it has one screen. I'm not that big of the two screen. I wasn't really that sold on that when it came out. Right. So to me, the, it was just kind of a gimmick, and I thought it made some games a little more annoying to play, like Sonic Rush, for example. You ha it has two screens, and then there's like a gap. Sometimes I would have, it was kind of weird. Um, but besides that, uh, I like the Game Boy Advance as a top, it's in the top three for sure. I mm. want to say maybe my favorite handheld, and I know this, this is kind of weird, but it's kind of like a Neo Geo and like, uh, this one and maybe like, I guess the the original Game Boy, no, no, I actually don't like the original Game Boy that much. I think it's overrated <laughs> actually. So, but I used to have a pocket that I used to like. I thought that was a lot, it made the original Game Boy games uh, bearable to play. I thought the original, original Game Boy's with the green it has mm -hmm. so much ghosting and it's so like uh, old tech that no. But what about you? What's your experience with the Game Boy Advance and what do you think about it? Because I know you're way more into handheld consoles than I am. Yeah. So, uh, of course, you know, I got my start Sega blogging by writing about handheld Sega games, uh, the Nomad, the Game Gear, the early iPhone stuff. And the Game Boy Advance was always something I really wanted to get, um, I think, ever since the Sonic games started to come out for it. Because these weren't straight ports. They were full-on new games, and I knew they made three of them. And then there was, like, Sonic Battle. And I was like... And it was killing me. And I was like, I, I just... I gotta go out and get, like, a used Game Boy Advance. Because this was probably 2000... I want to say 2006 or... No, probably 2007 when I got one. So looking back, I, I came on board probably just a little bit after or during the platform being phased out, which is not too bad. Actually, I'm kind of surprised I was, you know, getting into a Nintendo console that kind of was still alive because typically I'll buy like a NES in like 2011 or something. Oh, but yeah. here I just, it, it was the Sega stuff really that drew me to it. You look at my library and it's almost all, Sega Game Boy Advance games. And by library, I mean like a handful of cartridges that I just like throw in a bag. Yeah. Because uh, who who owns a box? I think I own the Game Boy Advance uh, Sonic Advance box, and that's it. I uh, um, I only own this game, Gunstar Super Heroes, because I got it when it came out. And I was like, this is yeah. going to be... I'm not going to ruin it. And uh, I think the Golden Sun games I own. Um, not very many, nice. just three. So nice. And, yeah. So I would say, um, yeah. So my, my little, my short little story is that I went out to a GameStop and I saw these for sale and I don't remember how much they were, but they were not much. Like 
I want to say maybe 40, 50, like nothing crazy. And I found a beautiful looking model. I picked the one that looked the nicest, you know. Yeah. And I came home and I opened it up and I turned it on and it wasn't backlit. Oh. And I was like, I thought the SP was backlit. Mm-mm. And I did a little digging and I was like, oh, the first version wasn't. That sucks. No. So I ran back to the store, exchanged it, and I got a nasty scratched up. This is the one. Like scratched up baby blue. I hated it, and so I immediately went online and looked for um, decals. So this ah. is actually a like orange wood kind of decal, which looks really nice, actually. I like it. Um, I mean, it looks weird on the blue, but this is my Game Boy Advance, and I'll turn mine on, too, since you did as well. So I was going to say, um, the you got the like yeah. lighter or the brighter one, right? Because like I know they did a regular backlit and then they did a, a re-release where they it's like even brighter now which i yeah i think mine's really bright and it's got a little button that you can you know like change the brightness and i i just i love it and i'll honestly say like you know including all the sega consoles all sega handhelds too i would put game boy advance sp is probably my second favorite mm. and i'm saying the sp specifically because i just i love that it folds shut I love the backlit that, like you said, the triggers are a little weird and it does suck that you need like an extension cord for a headphone. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, I, I would say 3DS is my f- top pick mm. followed by the Game Boy Advance. And then after that, the Nomad. That's, <laughs> Which, that's a pretty good list. Know, uh, and and I, I just, I can't make lists if I haven't played it. So obviously, like the PSP, the Vita, I've never owned one. I've never really played them, so I can't include them. But I'm sure they probably would. One of them would be up there because those are pretty cool looking. Um, as far as games that I would suggest, uh, like you mentioned, Golden Sun, those are great. Mm-hmm. Um, Advance Wars, I've I don't own it, but I've played emulations of it, and that's a lot of fun. It's a great on the go game. Um, and really, any of the Sega ones are worth checking out. I think Jet Grind Radio is really interesting because it's like an isometric version of the game. And it's like a full adaptation of the entire game. So you get the full maps, you get all the skaters, you get Professor K, um, which is kind of weird. Yeah. And and then, of course, Gunstar Superheroes, which was what we're going to talk about. It's just it's such an amazing looking game. Yeah, it's probably one of the best looking games on the handheld, and um, and we're going to get into that right now. So, uh, you mentioned you owned it, you bought it when it came out. So, when did you first play Gunstar Superheroes, and did you play it before or after the original? I know that's a weird question, but it's worth asking. after the original for sure. I was really yeah. really hyped about this one. It was one of those games where I was kind of like going back and reading interviews and going like, this might be it. This is the game that will bring treasure back, right? Like, I was really excited about it because it's for a while they were kind of like, just like sombering around. They were making games, but the games they were doing were never to the, uh, I guess, fandom of what their 90s games were. And so I was right. like, they're finally going back and making sequels that they should have done, you know, in the Genesis. Like, this one should have been a Sega Genesis uh, entry, right? So to me it was right. weird, but it was it felt kind of like a little like disheartening that it was on the Game Boy Advance and not a uh, like a GameCube game. But I guess in the same time we're at this like moment in history in console games where people thought that if you're gonna make a game on a GameCube or PS2, it has to be a 
full budget 3D game that has a beginning and end because they're always 50 bucks and no right. one's going to go and buy Gunstar Super Heroes for $50 when it looks like a Sega Genesis game or Super Nintendo game. I guess this one would be closer to Super Nintendo if uh, Gunstar was on Super Nintendo, Nintendo more than it was right. on Genesis. Because I feel like a lot of the effects that they use in this game are all like Super Super Nintendo based. But what about yeah, you? Yeah, and that's well, that's a great point because I think why I really liked the Game Boy Advance at the time was that you know we were moving past the Dreamcast into the Xbox, PS2, Game Boy or GameCube era, and there were lesser and lesser 2D games. And I was like, where are these games happening? And they really all seem to be happening on the Game Boy, mm. and so. Like you said, it, it it does very much feel like a, a SNES mm-hmm. in terms of how the games look and feel, but it feels like an improved SNES. Yeah. Um, and I really like that about it. Uh, that's what made the Sonic game so interesting to me. It was like, what if Sonic was on the Super NES instead of the Genesis? <laughs> yeah. Um, so in the case of this, like this game, they really went all out with the any of the effects that they were able to take advantage of with this. And it was so impressive. And at the time, you know, I, I'm pretty sure I picked this up just because I saw the Sega logo on the cartridge. I bought it used. I don't know when I could check my eBay history. Maybe I got it off eBay, but I, I know I did very little research. I just got it because it sounded interesting. And when I played it, something about it seemed very familiar. So I'm certain that I did rent Gunstar Heroes in the past, but I've never owned it. So I, I guess I, I could guess and say that I played the original game before this, but I can't say for certain. It's one of those things, you know, it's like you play it like Dynamite Heady for sure. I know I played. Yeah. But um, it's, 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 it's tricky. I, I don't have the best memory because I'm thinking of stuff from like 1992 or three. But um, yeah, so what I find so interesting about this then, like I said, this is like a, a, a quasi-sequel. So quasi-sequels on new platforms forms were pretty common back in the 80s and 90s. We had games like Castle of Illusion, uh, Rystar, Treasure's Own Dynamite Heady, differing enough from the console version to kind of be an entirely new game. So do you think Gunstar Superheroes kind of carries on this tradition? And do you think developers do this to keep their work from becoming stale on their end. You know, like I, it, what I find really strange is we look at castle of illusion and I passed that over on the game gear because I'm like, I have it on the Genesis years later. I learn it's a completely different game. Like I almost mm-hmm. feel like they're making a mistake in giving it the same title. They do um, that a lot. I've noticed that like um, some of the yeah. game gear and master system ports were like redesigned some of the stages where you could have just like, Called it like I don't know, like that uh, Ristar. You could call it Ristar yeah. uh, Mini Adventure or something. Um, right. And that kind of this kind of feels like a remix, I guess. And the story is kind of similar, and it's like, but I've never really. I mean, what was the question again? <laughs> well, the question was, um, first off, do you feel like this is in that kind of same vein where it's like the handheld version is is them just trying to like not so much remake the game, but present a flavor of it so that the developers don't feel like they're doing the same old, same old adaptation for the smaller screen. Uh, 
Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, we don't know what the developers were thinking, but this is just kind of an open-ended question to talk oh, okay. about. Uh, um, to me, when I first played it and I beat the whole game, it really mm-hmm. felt to me like Treasure was sitting there and they were like, look, this is all the effects that you could do on the Game Boy Advance. Let's make a game designed around all these effects. Like, every single stage, right. it feels like they were just designed on, like, gimmicks that were on the console. And I think... It's kind of in the spirit of the original. If you guys go back and watch our original, a lot of the bosses were made by uh, individual pixels that they put together, and they were really, really proud of that tech. I feel like in this one, they did the same thing with the like uh, weirdo, like the sc- the scrolling and the way they did the rotation. Um, mm-hmm. They seem to be so proud of that that it was almost on every single level. I don't even think I can name one level where they didn't use it at least for a second, even in a boss fight or yeah. something. So uh, yeah, there were. There were tons, and I, I think a reason, one of the reasons why they would do these sort of like quasi sequels that are more like remakes, is because you know it sounds like they really wanted to dive in with this game and focus on the visuals, and focus on getting the best out of the hardware. And because of that, either they, you know, do brand new character designs from the ground up, brand new levels, brand new story. Or they just take what they've done before, kind of expand on it, mm. and then they don't have to spend so much time developing new characters or settings or stories. Like, and I, I they kind of did that with Jet Set Radio too. With Jet Set Radio Future, they were like, you know, it's a sequel, but let's just do kind of the same plot, you know, <laughs> so we don't have to uh, think about uh, it. Reinvent the wheel. Yeah, uh, exactly. And I, maybe it's, it's weird. I mean, I think it's smart of them to change the title, at least. At least this wasn't called Gunstar Heroes. Yeah, or like, um, maybe it's like, they know, hey, it's been a, a very long time. At this point, it was 11 years. At this point now, we're, yeah. we're at 22 years or something, right? 21? Since the original right. came out or whatever. So, like, these people are probably thinking, yeah, uh, the people that buy a Game Boy Advance are probably going to be kids. They probably wanted to reach a new audience, and they were like, just call it Gunstar Superheroes. Or whatever else they called it in uh, Europe, and ship it out, and let's hope that we get a new audience and and our returning right. older audience. But I don't know. I, I don't think it sold that well, <laughs> to be honest with you. So maybe it didn't work. But yeah, right. Because like <laughs> well, uh, when I put when I posted pictures, I think of the box on our Instagram. Everybody's like, "Wait, Gunstar Hero had a sequel." It's like, uh, no. yeah. <laughs> Oh, were no. you? But I mean, they didn't. I'm I'm glad they didn't fall into that trap of like doing the mid 2000s sequel that looked nothing like the original. Like mm. you know, you'd get Bomberman doing that, and I I feel like they really could have done like it's Gunstar superheroes, but it's in 3D. It's brand new designs, brand new characters, and it like would just that be like Vector Man. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like the Vector Man thing. So it's like. Sometimes you veer too far away. Other times you get too close where it's just like, did you really need to make it that much different? You're basically making the same game. And I think this, it, it's a delicate balance, but I think overall you play this and you play the other game and you don't feel exactly like you're playing the same thing. Um, but l- So let's talk about the plot. Uh, <laughs> I, d- <laughs> I didn't important talk part. too much about the plot. Yeah, well, yeah, it's so yeah. important. It's, you know, you don't want to miss it. Um the game takes place a thousand years after the original, and it even has an opening cutscene. I thought this was cool, directly referencing the previous game. Mm-hmm. But despite this, it's a lar- largely a retread of the original game. So, as is the new tradition here with our video format, Ooh. if you're watching us, we will play 
the opening cutscene and I'll kind of read over it and then we can discuss it. So um, whenever you're ready to hit play, let me know. Um, we're looking at the opening, right? All right. Um, yeah. Whenever you're ready. One, two, three. All right. Wow. Oh, yeah. Licensed by Nintendo. You seeing this amazing stuff? Yeah. <laughs> Treasure is burning. Great. Lo <laughs> the logo, I love it. So they say, we have to stop him. And so these are like clips from the last game. Your journey ends here, says, uh, what is it, Gray. Where is he? That light. It's too late. No, the earth under one person's power. Wait, he won? In the past. You can tell it's black Two and white. Two heroes. I love the fought music. Fought against the terrible destructor. These two noble heroes were known as the Gunstar Heroes. But nothing else was known about them. <laughs> because we didn't take time to flesh out their characters. They beat the Destructor in an epic battle on the moon. The Destructor exploded, resulting in a genesis. Sega genesis. A genesis of four new moons that orbited the Earth. As time passed, development occurred on the four moons. And they're just called Moon 1, Moon 2, Moon 3, Moon 4. It's easier it to keep track. <laughs> a prosperous era. Oh, then a fifth moon appeared. This moon served as an ominous omen. A huge military satellite created by the Empire. It plans to resurrect the Destructor, the God of Ruin. Its obsession since the find of a relic, the Megalith. But the Empire's grab for power hasn't gone unnoticed. Thank God. Thank Thankfully. The, the th 3A force on Earth has created a unit to stop it. This elite unit has been given a code name. Can you guess what it is? Gunstar Superheroes. That's right. I'm so smart, Look dude. Look at so, it. And it's beautiful. I love that rotating box. So as you can see here, like it is in the future. They do talk about the events of the previous game as being in the past. However, it's pretty much like new villains came up and they just want to revive what had happened a thousand years ago. And now they have a thing called, what was it, the Megalith or the Megadeth? Or the, the Mega um, Death Star. Yeah, exactly. So, new names, same game. Um, you take on bosses named after colors, including green, pink, orange, black, and general gray. Mm -hmm. uh, you play as the characters blue and red. Um, so... What are your thoughts on Gunstar Superheroes plot? Do you think it's different enough from the original, or do you think it's too samey? So, the original, I remember, had two plots, right? When it was one for the North American version and one for the Japanese version. And I know a lot of people right. a lot of people say that, like, they're super different. And I think they're just, like, little details where it's like, okay, of course, they changed this thing around for no reason. But in the end of the day, I think a lot of the main points were intact. And I, I, I think everybody... Uh, I don't know. I haven't even looked it up, but I'm pretty sure everybody agrees that the Japanese one is the uh, real one, right? Because this one is obviously right. referencing the Japanese story. So I personally think it's okay. I mean, it's just fine. I mean, it's one of those stories like with these action games, do I really play like Contra 3 or Contra Hardcore and go... Man, that story, it left me weeping. That do that robotic dog, the way I destroyed all those aliens. <laughs> it was, it was right. you know what I mean? 
So to me, it's almost like uh, a high fantasy kind of uh, popcorn uh, story going on here where it's like the bare basic, kind of like classic Sonic. Go beat Eggman, uh, collect the crystals. This one has Earth and it has all these like new Earths that came around and, you know, just to set up the plot and the whole world. It, it works for what it's doing, especially for an old school 16-bit right. slash whatever the bit this uh, Game Boy Advance <laughs> has. I heard somewhere yeah, that it was 32. Was it? I heard somewhere it was oh, 32, okay. but I'm like, does that even work? And it, it's kind of like a marketing gimmick, you know what I mean? So I don't know. You know, the Jaguar right, yeah. 64 is the best. Everybody knows. But. Bits kind of lost their meaning. But um, yeah, I, I think the plot's okay. I mean, it sounds like it's setting up something new and original with the planets and everything. And then mm-hmm. it just kind of goes... And now the bad guys are back and they want to revive the thing, you know? But that's fine, you know? At the end of the day... I'm not playing this game for the plot mm. or even the characters. Like, I don't think Red and Blue, even in the last game, are memorable characters. They're fine. They're fine. The they're art looks kind of cool. Yeah, they're like them, serviceable like, uh, characters. That's what I, you're saying. Like, and I think even the developers are just like, oh, this is red, this is blue. Look at the designs. They don't have actual, like, personalities or plots right. with them. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's almost like something out of, like, 80s arcade games where player one and player two are just colors, you know, like Mario and Luigi. Or Double Dragon. Just, right, exactly. So, you know, it's in that vein where they weren't looking to make a game. Like, Gunstar Heroes, it's not Sonic the Hedgehog. The characters' names are not the title. The characters aren't the stars. The star is really the graphics and the gameplay. Yep, and, and the design you know, the, the character could look like anything, but as long as they got that like gun that goes, <laughs> you know, and all, and there's all these enemies flying all over the place, like that's what I want. And you know, you look at other treasure games, like what was it, Bangayo, where yeah. the main character is like the size of like a fly yeah. on your screen. It doesn't matter what the robot looks like; it's the gameplay. It's seeing all those bullets and those enemies. And honestly, talking about it, I want to go play Bangayo right now. But um, uh, before I do that, so. Of course, we discussed the gameplay of the original on our 35th episode, but believe it or not, um, we are not covering the same ground here. I thought, oh man, I hope the gameplay is exactly the same so I can just say, go listen to that one. But no, <laughs> no, it's not. despite being a remake slash sequel, um, Superheroes makes quite a few changes to the original formula. And from my reading online, like most people didn't like it, which surprised yeah. me. So... You select red or blue. Um, you're no longer tied to fixed or free aiming modes, which I think defined each character, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or I think you could um, select it before you got in, right? Or Right. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah, yeah. And you no longer combine weapons. So instead, the two characters are a lot more equal and they have a lot more versatile controls. Each character has three guns, which can be switched at will. So red has a force gun, a flame shot, and a homing gun. And blue has a flame shot, a laser seeker, and a standard laser. Um, Both have a supercharge meter to unleash powerful attacks. Uh, Melee combat is done with the A and B buttons combined with the D-pad, and you are no longer able to throw enemies, which was something you could do in the last game. Some fans found this new style to be less imaginative and restrained. I, and we've got some I, images, too. Are those up on the screen? We, can... uh, we want to talk about red? I, I put them separately, so I guess uh, here's a design for red, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's talk 
let share your thoughts and we can so focus on red. There was this like Bango, how you talk, the way the robots look, that's kind of like the mm-hmm. art that kind of um that uh treasure kind of adopted and it kind of really shows i think in the super and the superhero um uh, gunstar superhero look uh or at For least sure. the art like the the boots right here and with the legs yeah the way that the robot look that's way more robotic i think than any gunstar looked in the past the uh and it also has like a more mid i don't know it still has that weird 80s look but it looks more um i don't know how you say it um uh, like the line work on this is way more like professional than the first game. The first game kind of had that like 80s anime vibe, you know, like some of the games get where it's like some people would say a little amateurish, but like I would say like Fantasy Star kind of fits on that where it has those eyes and it's kind of like it's not as polished or whatever yeah. they say. The line works a lot e- but nicer and more pleasing. It looks like a comic book basically right here. Honestly, I would say this this uh, art style is almost like the early 2000s style, which I think no one's really nailed down yet, but when you look at it here, I would not point to this and go, that's 90s. I wouldn't even say 80s. Very clearly 2000s. Yeah. And um, um, and what do like you, you said, it looks like Bangayo. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And it's kind of like the look of Treasure Games during this era, at least to me, it looked like. And what do you think about him compared to Red from the original? It's like he has these like Super Saiyan hair kind of, and in... Um, the original, he had kind of like brown hair, just like a brown hair kid. He kind of looked like his hair was just down. It wasn't all animated out, at least for what I remember. Right. Yeah. Yeah, he just was kind of like in, there was a lot of fabric on their costumes, fabric, brown boots, and then like just little touches of armor. But here yeah. it's almost all armor, um, spandex jumpsuits. They're a little more in proportion, not like little kid, big head, little body sort of things. Mm-hmm. Um little more Alex Kidd vibe with the old one, Adventure Island, you know, that sort of thing here. Like you said, again, I keep going back to Bangayo or Bungio or whatever you call it. Mm-hmm. But, um, I mean, it works. It looks fine. And when you see them on the screen, I feel like the sprites resemble the original game a lot more than the art does yeah. of them. Um, now, let's look at Blue. You have Blue up there? Yep, I do. And he's, uh, so he's got that, like, he looks like, um, he looks like a few characters I've seen before. He looks like, uh, uh, my character from Fantasy Star Online. I had that, like, little, you know, hunter, human hunter. He looks like, um, man, I've seen him before. He looks like, uh, like a Naruto character or something. I don't know. This one, Uh, it's actually kind of crazy, though, but I feel like he looks a lot more like the original blue from the first one then the other guy looked like the original red because if you look right. at the original blue he also has the bandana he has the same kind of hair only that it's longer here and like you said it has right. the the armor that we uh we talked about from red it's like kind of the same armor but a uh just a blue and white version of it but yeah right and i would say too um this is something we cover a little later but early art had red as a female so with that in mind, when you look at Red, um, imagine that that's a female character. Honestly, they could have called this a female character and I would have believed them. I mean, it Red looks very feminine. It's got the hair. It's got the little, you know, kind the of little, blush. The blush, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and Blue it, it doesn't could, have that. No. And so I, I do have to wonder if it was something that changed very late. Because even though very early... Uh, pixel like art 
has red as a girl. I'm looking at red right now and I'm feeling things. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, you know, I, 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 and honestly, I like that idea. Like the girl. Sure. Why not have a boy and a girl red and blue? Like, I think that's a lot cooler than just two guys. I, I, I thought it would have been cool if like they had, uh, after you've beat the game, they just had like yellow as an unlockable hero and you could play the game again with them. But yeah, that wasn't a thing. Right. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up yellow. I don't have yellow in my notes, but yellow is basically like your uh, person talking into your ear throughout the game. Like they're kind of just your yeah. point person. Yeah. Um, and she made the cover art even though not being playable. So it does feel a little like false advertising. You look at that and go, oh, it's a sequel to Gunstar Heroes and they added a third character. Yellow. So cool. No, you can't play as yellow. No. Um, another unfortunate omission is the lack of two players. Yeah. Which, uh, uh, like, defined the original. It's one of those games where you go, oh, you've played Gunstar Heroes, but have you played it with two people? Wow. Um, do you think the Game Boy Advance sequel suffers from this? For sure. Like, 100%. I think yeah. anybody that likes this game and is a hardcore treasure fan would have told, would have told them not a good idea to do that. That's kind of, like, defining. I think it's like changing the, the, the weapon thing. And not throwing and um, the two-player thing, those three things back-to-back are really... Like, I enjoy the game. I love the game. i actually one of those guys that defends the game. But those three things I really can't defend. It's one of those, like, trademark. Like, when you first, first played Gunstar Heroes and knowing that you could switch weapons and you could throw people, it is so sick. Like, it is so cool just getting close to someone and grabbing them and literally throwing them across <laughs> the map. Like, it's... And then hitting other people, it is it is really cool. So, I would not be defending that for sure. So, I would say it's a very... Uh, not two players is negative for sure. You? Yeah. I, I'd have to agree with you there. The only thing is, like, being the Game Boy Advance platform, I never thought I'd play with someone else and I never did. Just the idea of either having the link cable or, you know, you both have to have the cartridge. Like, there is a lot involved to get to that two-player point. Mm -hmm. Having said that, to not even have it so that people can't go, oh, have you ever linked them up with someone and played? Oh, I did with my cousin. You know, like, you can't tell those stories. It's not even an option. So I don't want to be that guy to be like, well, not many people played two players, so it's not like it needed it. Because, you know, it's very defining for the game. Um, when Streets of Rage 4 was announced, I remember some people were going, oh, please, I hope it has local multiplayer. And I'm like, Dude. why wouldn't it? Yeah. If it didn't, then that's a huge fail on the developer's part. And for this game, just in, you know, thinking back, had I heard this was coming out, no doubt, being if I was like a big fan of Gunstar Heroes, I'd go, of course it's going to have multiplayer. Like it has red and blue in it on the cover. It's probably going to have three player. Look, there's yellow. But no. Yeah. Um, and, and when we get to the development, we will explain their reasoning. It makes a little sense, but eh, you know, well, I, I'm, I love this game, but I will get a little negative on it once we get to that point. Um, but despite these downgrades, the game itself features a lot more variety over the original Gunstar Heroes. Levels are all based on stages from the original game, but you have more sections and additional scenarios with more variety. Uh, I personally, I was playing the game before we recorded and it was just like uh, 30 second scene, 20 second scene, yeah. 40 second scene. And it was like, 
but there was no loading time. So it was very fun. Like I would get to an area and I'd be like, I really need to explore this as much as I can because next uh, 10 seconds I'm moving on to the next one. It wasn't like Streets of Rage or, or like Golden Axe or any of those games where you're like in the level for an extended period of time, like two, five, ten minutes. Like here it was just like nonstop. It was like eating candy and you were like, oh, that's an M&M. Oh, that's a Skittle. You know, like yeah. you're just like just eating a variety of things and you just didn't have time to process it. But honestly, I think that's what makes the game work really well. And if you're a Sega fan, you'll be excited to know that the game is packed with references to the company's past titles. The game kicks off with a new prologue stage, and there is an Afterburner-inspired stage above the forest. Mm -hmm. There's a 2.5D kind of stage where you collect birds, like in Flicky. Mm -hmm. There is an air airfield stage that has an overhead Thunderblade level, which I think a lot of people probably didn't notice because... The Thunderblade, I think, home game does not have that overhead sort of section. Yeah. Um, and then the game, you know, it's it's truly a love letter to Sega's past, which is kind of surprising because it's a treasure game. Um, but still, you know, it seems like despite being on a Nintendo platform and utilizing their hardware, it was very clear that they were like super scalar stuff is Sega's realm. And they were yeah. making a lot of references to that. Um so, in regards to, like, the new stuff, what's your favorite addition to the game? I mean, I liked the shooting levels. The like, like the, I liked all the Sega references. I think that was the reason I think I came out of this not hating it like other people did. And maybe it's just my bias as a huge Sega fan. But I love the flicky stage. I love just the way they changed the gameplay. And they even brought back the, the dice rolling game and all the little things. Like, just some of the yeah. stuff that I really found really unique in the original. So I just, and like you said in the beginning, like my favorite aspect of the game is that it's like nonstop action. And that was something that was like really rare in the, it, like having a game like this was like such a treat in the, in the mid 2000s. Cause a lot of people were trying to make either like narrative driven games or they were just moving on from the, like the old style type games. And I feel like this one and maybe like Contra 4 on the DS we're trying to bring mm -hmm. that sort of like style back where it's like, I don't, I don't, I didn't think this game was that punishing hard, but uh, it, it brought back the action, the action genre in full force, I thought. But what do you think? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I really liked, like I said, you know, this game does really feel like a remake. However, the fact that it has a prologue, like a, a zero stage before you get into the actual kind of Gunstar Heroes rehash is really cool. I love the idea where you enter the base, you go through the security and there's like guys watching you through a screen. You fight, you kick it off by fighting the boss, he gets away and then you're leaving and you backtrack back through where you came and you're seeing all this destruction. I think it's very cool. It's um it definitely makes you not think that this is more of a remake because you're getting something brand new right out the gate. Um and the other question I had, and I'll answer mine first, I, you know, like what Sega game did Treasure nail in their execution of kind of remaking? I would say the Thunderblade one. Yeah. They really did a good job at. It's it's a game, though, that I have not played until recently, thanks to the 3D classics and thanks to actually playing it in an arcade machine. But um, it's it's just such a cool concept from Sega's past that I really appreciate that Treasure 
their developers saw that and they were like, oh, we got to reference that. No, everyone else was thinking Outrun, Space Harrier, but no, they were like, Thunderblade. <laughs> and that's just so treasure of them. I feel like Thunderblade is such a treasure, a game that Treasure would have loved and did yeah. love. So I thought that was cool. The, How about I, you? What, what was your favorite Sega callback? That actually, that was kind of it because I actually really enjoyed that stage. I thought it was a little frustrating when I first played it because I didn't understand the bomb thing because I didn't play it. Mm. Um, so the original. So, but the thing that really, really struck me is like, why would you do Flicky as a stage? That was the weirdest one. Yeah. That it was like, it was like out of everything, and like you could have done almost any game in Sega history, and you're like, that Flicky game. That's the one that needs a stage in our game. I'm like. Mm-hmm. I thought it would have been interesting if they like did a callback to like Contra because some of the guys worked on it. But uh, mm. as a Sega fan, I can't really complain that they they kept it Sega. But I thought it would have been interesting if they did more like '90s shoot 'em up kind of like, or even something to like like their their past games like Silhouette Mirage or something. But no, it, it was all Sega games that they never even had a hand in creating, which was weird. Yeah, that is kind of strange that they didn't start referencing their own past titles, and that's why. You know, later on we'll talk about deleted things, but I really feel like either they or someone at Sega was like, is this a treasure game or a Sega game? Because we appreciate the references, but you guys need to, like, ease off and make this thing its own thing. Um, So, yeah, so compared to Gunstar Heroes, Gunstar Super Heroes was more than just a run and gun. It was a grab bag of gameplay styles referencing both treasure and Sega's past with an emphasis on gameplay and graphical gimmicks over gameplay mechanics. Yeah. So how would you say Superheroes compares to Gunstar Heroes for you? And which type of game is more your style? A solid run-and-gun game, start to finish, or a game that's tons of variety, gimmicks, and run-and-gun thrown into the mix? You know... I like them both for their own thing, but I would say that if I had to choose and they had to go back and do it, I would make it more like the original. I think uh, there was yeah. stuff in the original that I feel like was more timeless and I think will be known in the future. I don't mind their like references to other games, but it is kind of strange that you're like, all right, I'm going to get the new Gunstar Hero. And then you start playing the game and it's like, oh, now I'm playing Thunderblade and Flicky. And uh, it's like kind of strange it's kind of jarring at first because you're expecting it to be like the genesis game at least like oh just more of the genesis game and it's definitely not that it's uh it's kind of like they just had like all these like oh i want to make this game oh let's put all our ideas in this one game because sega's funding gunstar superheroes so now all these mini games we thought about or style of games we want to make we're all making all those styles in one game and that's probably what they did basically yeah, basically. And it's it's funny for me, like, I want to say, you know, like just a solid run and gun game, like the best of the best. But at the time I played this and still when I pick it up, I just I love the variety. I mm-hmm. love that I don't know what's coming next. And I'm like, oh, I'm doing this now. Oh, I'm playing that. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that I just it's not that I have a short attention span. I just I like to be surprised in games. And I think that's why I loved Bayonetta so much. Because sure, it was like one of the best action, I don't know what you'd call like action adventure games. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I was like, oh, wait, now I'm playing like Space Harrier. You know, now I'm playing Afterburner. Like there would just be weird things thrown into the mix. And this game, like the scale of it being on a little handheld, 
it just it works so well to have these little bite-sized moments and since you can save your game and your progress i would play a stage and then i'd like you know shut it down turn it off and be like wow i just experienced a lot of different strange different stuff i don't know if i could handle a full playthrough start to finish it seems like that would be a lot to take in like almost like a sugar high like a gameplay high you'd be like oh man did i just play like 30 games um you have to take a break and it's it's you do and it's interesting too because so in looking up like materials promoting this game there wasn't that much but i did find the original press release from sag of america in may 2005 now i don't know if the game was revealed prior to that or if this was like day of like in may 2005 people were like whoa they're making it but man like press releases were different back then i feel like (laughs) sure you know like here's so here's vice president of entertainment marketing sag of america and he said gunstar superheroes offers an action-packed arcade experience that's sure to be inviting to newcomers and hardcore gamers alike sega and treasure are giving fans the sequel they've always wanted right in time for the 10th anniversary of the original gunstar heroes now, right out the gate, like, there's nothing really wrong there, but to call it an arcade experience is so bizarre to me when it's not an arcade game. Gunstar Heroes was never an arcade game. And I don't even think, like, I know Treasure, they're not, they've made games for the arcades, right? But they're not an arcade company. I can't even so, think of an arcade game they made. Oh, I mean, I guess Ikigura and those shoot 'em ups they did, but like, are they really known for it. arcade? Like, everybody no. I know that played Ikigura or all those games played them on consoles. I've never met anybody that goes, ah, I, I spent $1,000 and I beat that shoot 'em up. Never. Right. In my life. Right. And so, like, in reading this, it's not too far off from like new press releases we get now, but. I feel like nowadays, especially, you know, as we record this, what was it, Shin Megumi, Megumi Tensai 5 got announced. Yeah. And I'm sure, I haven't read the press release, but I'm sure as hell there's someone in there dropping all these, like, fan-friendly things so that they're like, we know full well what the series is, who the characters are. Um, here it just kind of feels kind of tone-deaf. They're like, what is Gunstar Superheroes? Well, it's got some Sega arcade references. It's an arcade experience, kids. It's like... What, you're talking about the anniversary of the original game, and yet you're calling this an arcade game? Like, it's Mm. nothing terrible, but still, it's kind of like, it just seems a little tone deaf on Sega's part. And it's like, ooh, the VP of Entertainment Marketing is here to talk to you. Like, nowadays, I I really feel like they're, Sega themselves are putting much more, like, certain people front and center that fans know and trust and... um, Mm. Like, you just, you see when new Yakuza games are coming out, they're dropping the names of the cities, the name of side characters, they're like, go back to blah, 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 and meet blue, blah, blue, uh, in an all-new game that, you know, you know, like, it, they just seem much more in touch with the actual product, whereas I, I feel like in the mid-2000s, they were like, we want to focus on our Western projects, but we'll still release those Japanese ones, and... I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but maybe, it's just... May, I mean, maybe, but, like, I think, like, if we went back and we interviewed this guy, uh, Scott uh, Steinberg, and he, we, ta- we told him, hey, uh, remember when you released uh, Gunstar Superheroes? What was your opinion on the game when you were marketing it, and what was hard marketing? He probably wouldn't even know what the game is. He'd be like, what? What are you talking right. about? When? Exactly. 2004? Exactly. And it, I feel like if I go and I talk to the people that are, are marketing 
uh, Yakuza, for example, I feel like they would probably be like, oh, yes, I remember this. I wasn't into the series, but then I played it. And then, like, I feel like I, I hear that a lot from Sega right now. Like the the people that do the translations fell in love with the characters. Right. And now they, that's all they talk about is now that, like they, they understand the characters and their motivations a lot better than I feel even fans uh, didn't understand like don't understand like Shimu for example where we talk about where they're like Ryu's gonna have his revenge oh. and it's like you have not played these games or what like this is not about revenge my dude like it's supposed to be about right, the cycle of revenge not even to, not to go on a tangent but I feel like when Sega was promoting the HD remasters of Shenmue they didn't know what Shenmue was like the, <laughs> yeah. mere, the mere fact that uh, Yu Suzuki's name was not mentioned once in the marketing just was so weird to me. It just seemed both insulting to the guy who created the game and also just like Shenmue and Yu Suzuki were synonymous when they were originally promoting the game. And to come out again and be like, hey guys, Shenmue's back in HD. Let's pay some guys to go walk around. A couple white guys walking around Japan pointing at things. I mean, here, not to, you know, shit on Scott. Sorry, Scott. But like you see the modern stuff coming out like i said today's atlas stuff and those social media people were very much in tune to what the fans would get excited about i saw hours before they're like oh man my inbox is going to blow up you guys are going to be so excited whereas here i'm sure scott was like gunstar superheroes oh it's a sequel to an old one what's that like an arcade game cool all right hey guys vp <laughs> of entertainment marketing here's scott you know, it's the 10th anniversary, apparently. Like, this wasn't really pushed as a 10th anniversary game. I didn't see that anywhere. I'm, um, let me look at the box, if it even has it in the box. Nope, I don't I don't see it. No. So, and I honestly don't think, um, looking at the development, which we'll get into now, I don't think they were looking at releasing this in time for the 10th anniversary, because they worked on this for three years, and it was just kind of like, when we're done, we're done. Um and so let's I, and talk it didn't about that. really. In, no, and and so September two thousand five, Treasures President is he still the president? Masao, Masato uh, Megawa. I think yeah, I think he is. Yeah. Okay, uh, he spoke with IGN about the upcoming game. In regards to Treasure being against sequels, he had this to say: There are two things we have to do to make a sequel. First, we have to gather the original's development staff. This time, we had a chance to gather the staff from the original Gunstar Heroes. So that's why we made Gunstar Superheroes. The next step is, I speak with the team members and ask them what they want to do. There was an option, there was an opinion from the team. They wanted to make a sequel to Gunstar Heroes. And I found this really interesting because we've dealt with this a lot as Sega fans. Um, the original team, at least in Treasure's eyes, needed to be assembled for a sequel to happen. And then on top of that, they had to have new ideas for what to do. It wasn't just like, this sold this well, sequel. let's poop out yeah. another. Yeah. And do you think this is a practice primarily like that Japanese developers as a whole take part in? Or do you think this was a treasure thing? Because, I mean, not to answer the question before you, but I feel like Sega really takes this to heart. Uh, maybe they, Personally. I don't know. I mean, I they think fans to. will disagree. Yeah. That they used to take this to heart. I don't know. And I think maybe it held back bringing back some franchises. Cause like things changed from 1992 to, or 93 to 2020, mm -hmm. you know? And it's like, 
people want Sega to continue doing these kind of games they used to make, but it's like a lot of the creators are already moving on. Like they're making blockbuster 3D games. Like Yakuza is a franchise now that's huge. And I know a lot of people used to give me grief for, for covering it so positively on the site uh, back when nobody right. cared about it. And uh, right. I just think that like you sometimes need new blood to inject new ideas. I think some games showed us that it, it works like streets of rage four, like you mentioned. And sometimes right. you need the old people back from the team. But I feel like this, if somebody made this like an indie developer, I think a lot of the fans would be even more harsher on it because they'd be like, they just made it into a mini game. Oh, typical Nintendo trash or whatever, you know? Um, right. Uh, so I, it's just weird that the original, like he got the original team together and then they're like, yeah, we want to make a sequel to uh, Gunstar Heroes. Well, thank God you guys are all from the original team because uh, I've got you guys all together to talk about this. And yeah, but yeah, <laughs> I, I'm actually surprised that he, he got everybody back. I thought it was just like most of the team or, you know, like uh, a few of the leads. I think a lot of Sega stuff is just a few leads they need. The people that used to be producers mostly, I've noticed they do sometimes, to just to oversee things and give them the okay. But uh, yeah, that's it. What What is your thoughts yeah. on this? Well, I, I I think like the Japanese, not the companies, but more like the developers, I think they view it as almost like we would view, like for example, if I were to say to you, George, hey, I just listened to that to an old Beatles album. That was great. They should make a new one. And you're like, well, Barry, the band disbanded and some of the members are dead. And I'd be like, they don't need them. Just have new guys make a new Beatles album. What are you talking about? You know, and it's like... You you don't think that the record label thought of that? Like, I'm just joking. I'm just... Can you imagine that? But then then you look at it the other way and you go, man, I love James Bond, but Daniel Craig's retiring. And you'd be like, well, they're just going to cast a new James Bond. And I'd be like, well, yeah, obviously. And so I think, you know, in both cases there, it's it's a form of entertainment. There's the major players making it happen. But at least in the case of movies, they're disposable. And in the case of music, they're indisposable. And so here now we look at a thing like a video game. Now who's doing the music? A composer. How's that any different from the Beatles? You know, like they brought the same composer back. Okay. And then you look at the the character designers you look at the programmers like i don't know i i just feel like they don't feel like if if you're gonna have this group of people come together they're gonna come together and they're gonna make the sequel you're not gonna pluck people from elsewhere and throw them together and have them make the sequel without the original people either signing off on it or overseeing it i mean I don't know, like, but with uh, Streets of Rage 4 and with the upcoming Alex Kidd, from what I'm hearing, there is a team within Sega of Japan of older developers who are overseeing this, so they're still giving their thumbs up, and it's still kind of following what we're seeing here with Treasure and how they handled Gunstar superheroes, and I don't I just, I think it's a, a common practice over there, and it's maybe becoming less common because we're seeing stuff like, uh, um, Space uh, Channel Kojima, 5. you know, well, like Kojima's yeah. gone, but they're still making yeah. sequels to his games. Um, I also think there's some games, like you said, Space Channel Five, right there. I think some of the original team members just don't care. You know, they were probably like, 
it's not a precious it's not a precious franchise to us. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, um, but I it's, will it's say, something I've always wanted a firm answer on. I will say that I give Treasure props for being like uh, getting the original teams back. I feel like in game development, especially today, uh, people that actually make the product are throwing under like they're just throwing away like they're nothing. Like if you look at the development teams for Assassin's Creed, like three and then you see like a bunch of other ones you'll notice that like they just fire employees in ubisoft like they're nothing they're like a machine over there right they get their 100 plus employees they'll fire some of them and then they'll move on and then they'll hire new people that are totally different to do the same work they were doing before so the idea that treasure does this and i think this is probably why treasure is uh not as big because like they weren't constantly hiring people and like they just kept a small team of friends together in the small company making games they wanted to make that's that's pretty rare in video game development period absolutely and that that transitions into the next section here so um you know the, there was a question of referring back to this interview again why the game boy advance and not the psp or the ds and masato said that it was because the team wanted to make a 2d game and like we were saying yeah. earlier it was kind of like, if you're making a GameCube game, it's going to be 3D. If you're going to make a PSP game, it's going to be 3D. And DS, it still got away with the uh, the 2D games, but still there were 3D elements like you saw with the Sonic Rush games where the character, the sprites were little 3D versions of Sonic. Um, so because of that, uh, you know, they, they actually had a very small team. The game was in development for three years, but Masato Dude. said that it was a... It was a gradual increase in team members and not like three years of crunch time. It was really like a very, it seemed like a very like chill, leisure. casual <laughs> leisure. Yeah, yeah. And for a game that's like opening with flames and like every stage is lasting like 10 seconds. It's so funny that it took them three years of just casual development with probably some crunch time towards the end for a game that's just so like fast paced and fast too. It's a short game. Um, so the original Gunstar Heroes had a team of seven staff members and Gunstar Superhero had, uh, three people at the initial few years. And then it grew to a whopping 10 people in the final year. Um, Masato appears to prefer smaller teams. He said, our concept for creating games is to call upon the characteristics and originality of all the team members. When making a big title, you just can't do that. So, does Gunstar Superheroes, the game itself, reflect the smaller dev team and longer development time? Looking back at your own favorite games of recent years, how many would you say have large teams and how many have had smaller teams? Like, are you a big team boy or a small team boy? That's my question. You know, I was looking at my games the other day and uh, I was looking at all my new Switch games and PS4 games and I've noticed that if I play something on PS4, it's usually like this large budget, like, <laughs> like oh, cool, a, a million people probably worked on this, you know? And then when I look right. at my uh, Switch titles, it's like, Windjammers, oh. <laughs> it's like, oh, I have Windjammers <laughs> physically, that's cool. Um, or like uh, Freedom Planet or even Sonic or Sonic Mania where you know it's just small 2D games. So I have a I have a mix. I would say it's probably 65 playing smaller 65% playing smaller games, 40 something percent playing larger games. Um 
do I do I prefer either one? Um, I think when you have a smaller team, sometimes you get a more unique experience than a large team because I feel like. A lot of the large team already kind of understand the format and addictive. What makes games addictive to us? Like when you play, right. um, like those Sony games, and when you start playing Sony games, you start noticing they use a lot of the same ideas behind the games to get you captured into the story and the in into the world. So it's like the same type of open world kind of like collectibles. Um, they also do this thing right. where somebody in your family dies all the time. It's like, oh, okay, I guess that <laughs> invests you easily into the character. Um, but yeah, I started noticing that. Like, obviously, Gunstar does not have any of your parents dying or anything like that. So it's no. more based on gameplay. And I feel like a lot of developers now are too afraid not to have a story like that for a big budget game where it's just like, check out all these crazy things going on. And we got a flicky remake level for no reason. Thank you, guys. It's like. No, right, that and actually, today. you know, looking at modern games too, like when you do get a game where it's it's not doing that, people are like, "Oh, this is a nostalgic throwback." Like uh, Sunset Overdrive, I remember when the mm. when the trailer happened, people were like, "This is such a breath of fresh air." Look, it's just crazy characters. The plot doesn't really make much sense, and it just looks fun. And I feel like we could use more of that. It would be really great. Sure. Like, a, I, and I'm not I'm not trying to date this episode, but like in this time that these uncertain times that we're living in i just want some fucking crazy games i don't i'm the last thing i want to do is play the last of us part two i don't need that in my life right now shut up get away from me like i want where the the story is like physically upsetting people it's like bro can we get a game where where a guy's wearing pjs and he's just punching zombies in the nuts that's all we need man yeah (laughs) and you know looking at games that i've played in recent years um Yeah, I would say, like, you know, I love the Yakuza games. It's a pretty sizable team. But I think because they have people moving, you know, working on the series for so long, they've all, it's not like a team of 10 people, but still they've all kind of come together and decided this is the feel we're going for. I feel like it has really strong leadership pushing the series into certain directions. Um, So I, I appreciate that. Um but then I also look at games like Sonic Mania and like it's it's not a team of 10 people. It's a pretty sizable team still. But when you get down to the just the developers and not like the people in marketing and, and the, the QA develop testers, like all that, it is a it's a small enough team that you can go onto Twitter, point something out and, you know, like five times out of 10, that person's going to come back and be like, oh, that was my idea. And they'll give you the reason. You know what I mean? Like, whereas, yeah, I, I'm certain that if I were to play like Spider-Man for PS4 and I were to point out a tiny little thing, I don't think that person would come out of the woodwork and like talk to me and, and have an answer. It would just be more like, oh, uh, yeah, we had a team of about 15 uh, riggers uh, lighting, you know, like all this stuff. I know they need it and everything, but it's just I don't know, like. Whose idea was it to put the Game Gear logo on a little TV? You know, like someone will come out and talk to me about that. Whereas Spider-Man, I'm like, oh, whose idea was to do this kind of design for the Daily Bugle? Because it seems like a reference to that video game from the 90s. So, they'd be like, I don't know. I have a, qu- I I have a question. I have a question for you. Like, okay, so let's say Ooh. you worked in video games, right? And you were tasked to do, make a game. Would you want to work for a big company of thousand people where you're expendable, or would you like to work with a team of ten people where 
I would say your opinion is more validated or at least taken more serious in the team than someone where you're like in a thousand work. You're working with a thousand people. You're cl- you're a cog in the machine, right? Like if you're working on the new <laughs> Sony game, you're a cog in the machine. You're there to like do what you're doing, right? You're a graphic designer. You're probably going to be uh, right. designing logos within the game. They probably already have the feel. They're probably giving you references to what they want. Where somewhere like Sonic, you could just go back, play old games, and do whatever you want, and then present it to Sega, and then they came up with what they want to change, right? Like, I assume all the Hornet, all the stuff they added in Sonic Mania was because they were fans of Daytona, and they were fans of the Game Gear. And it wasn't just because some marketing team came back and said, hey, we marketed and decided that the Sega Genesis logo is liked 90% on the internet. Right. Well, I'll answer your question, but yeah, talking about that, like a lot of the the Easter eggs I see in the new Spider-Man game, I really feel like came out of focus group testing, marketing, all that. I I honestly don't think it was one guy's idea to throw in a costume. Like there's a lot of uh, discussion behind the scenes about what to put in the game. And, you know, the, the guy putting in the Hornet, that's probably one guy. You know, yeah. <laughs> Whereas Spider-Man's costumes is a very—it's a timed thing. Who's it going to be? What's it going to reference? We have to do the art. We have to run it by the director. We got to do this and that. Um, to answer your question, though, I would prefer a smaller team for sure. Uh, just in my own professional experience, like one of the largest places I've worked at, I did feel like a cog in the machine, despite being a designer. Like there were. I don't want to say hundreds of designers, but it probably came close. And I felt like anything I did, people would go, oh, great job, Barry. That looks cool. Hand it off to this other person and they can finish the project. And um, there's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, you kind of like feeling a little special. Like you like to have yourself shine a little bit more. Um, like what I'm doing now, it's a it's a big company, but I'm a small team of people where people really have come to respect what I am able to do. And they know that if they need something, they come to me. It's not like 15 other people can do what I'm doing. So in that respect, like if I were doing game development, I would love just to like work with the same people on every game um, and grow with them rather than being on my own little island and having to like really really impress people to actually break out that would be difficult and it is difficult yeah um yeah talking about work i want to talk about video games um (laughs) uh so let's so here's the big thing so um the game wait i just lost my place uh yeah so yeah masato said that the main focus of the sequel was the visuals and he wanted to create many different stages that weren't just shooters with score attack time attack features these features are said to present he said more of a challenge to the user as they have to use various skills to play when talking about the boss seven force which is the underground mine boss with seven forms masato said that there was actually some talk of expanding the amount of forms, noting that 70 force (laughs) was considered with all 70 transformations written out. But he said this would have probably taken a year to develop. And while it it. sounds like he was kind of 
he it sounds like he was kind of joking. It also sounds like they did work out like seventy attack forms. Um, what do you think a boss with seventy forms of attack would be like? And do you think this would make Gunstar Superheroes kind of a legendary game? I wouldn't say like a bestseller. Like I don't think this would help the sales. But in hindsight, looking back, I honestly think to answer this, like personally, I think we all would be talking about this game because we're like, this is that game with the boss that has 70 forms. (laughs) Yeah, it it would be like Alien Storm or whatever, where it's like, oh, there's there's only 25 stages, but 32 bosses. Kind of like talking about like, Mm -hmm. that's what it's known for in history. Um, This one would be known as the... Hey, did you know this one had 75 uh, different transformations? And then there would be uh, a video where a YouTuber's doing that face where they're shocked. <gasps> and then they'll be like, and then it'll say on the side, did you know Gunstar Superheroes had 75 transformations? Right. World record, world, you know. Um, yeah, like, I think it would have well, gone in the books more probably. We talked about Bayonetta earlier, and I remember when that game was coming out, one of the ways they marketed it was they were like, Imagine like the end boss to a game and you're like, okay. And they're like, that's basically every boss in this game. In fact, that's every sub boss in this game. In fact, there's some enemies who would be an end boss in any other game. And you're like, holy crap. You know, like if that's what the bosses are like throughout the game, what is the final boss? This must be insane. And it was insane. Like it delivered on that. Um, it kind of feels like a platinum game sort of thing with the idea of having a boss that has 70 forms. Like it just seems so crazy and over the top. um, When's the last time you surprised? I'm surprised they didn't do it. What's the last (laughs) time you've heard of an American studio, like talking about bosses this much where like they actually thought about doing 75 different attack patterns or formations that doesn't yeah. really happen a lot. Like I feel like a lot of Westerner Western studios are like more driven on the story, the uh, the side stuff, uh, getting you uh, giving you things to do all the time to like get you into the game. I've never really I can't like even like my favorite games like Uncharted, like the Amer- yeah. my favorite American games. Their bosses suck. Like the boss battles are terrible. It's like the worst part of those games. So I feel like Japanese people just take more pride in boss fights and when we talked about binary domain i said that was one of my favorite parts of that game was the how they designed the boss battles and uh yeah i think this one is kind of like that too it's uh i mean they really thought their bosses more than more most western studios think but yeah i think west western studios are afraid to be video games they're afraid to have movies well yeah they're afraid to say like there are seven stages with two acts each and there's a sub boss and then a boss and then the end boss like they want to bust out of that and i remember the big the big thing when games started doing that were like there's no more score there's no more lives it's not you know like you you just you just sit down and you play there's no stage you just go and you're like oh my god this is so groundbreaking here we are in 2020 and i feel like it's getting a little old that's why i get so excited when i talk about these games with you um, and even games as new as Binary Domain, where there was like a real like respect for what makes a game a game. And the mm. fact that these Japanese developers are thinking, well, we are, have these brand new tools, like even Game Boy Advance, you know, at the time it was a new tool. And, you know, you look at the new stuff like uh, uh, Switch and things like that, like they're looking at it and they say, you know, we have this this 
increased hardware capability, why don't we go all out and just make insane bosses? And I feel like that's what people were really doing probably like late 2000s. Like there was a real push, especially with Platinum Games. But I also feel like Treasure was doing that a lot um, in the 90s and in the 2000s. Like just the sheer variety of bosses, even though we didn't get the 70 forms, whatever it was. Um, Mm. The dice... The dice was just so dice. cool, and you, and it kind of came back again with um, Sonic Mania, where there was like the weather, the weather channel boss. Remember that, where it was like you'd battle yeah. different elements. Like it's just, it's so, it's so fun. It's so unrealistic, but it doesn't need to be realistic because it's a video game. Like I'm not trying to to bash like uh, modern games right now, but it's just it, there's something really comforting about having that. Uh, um, I don't know, like structure. It's just nice. I don't know. It's. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Um, and that's what I like about this game is you see the moons, like moon one, moon two, moon three, moon four, and you're thinking, all right, I guess I have to go to all of those. You know, like it's just, it's fun. Yeah. It's nice to have, it's fun to have fun. So, um, all right, now we're not going to have fun. This next bit. So, uh, when talking about the game being single player, Masato says the mode would have meant they would need to trim elements from the game, including the number of enemies, I assume, on screen. Despite sing- being single player, Masato claims they maxed out the GBA. Um, I agree. So be- so before I how. ask this question, do you think they put way too much emphasis on the visuals and because of that, it worked against the gameplay? Yeah. Yeah, it really did. Like, you could tell that they were more happy about being, like... I think they really thought that if people saw the graphics and all the effects that they were going to do on the Game Boy Advance, that they were going to sell more copies. But if you actually yeah. look at the top-selling Game Boy Advance game, it's, it's like... It's like remakes of, like, Super... It's like ports of Super Mario and, like, Donkey Kong. Like, or Donkey Kong Land or whatever they used to call it. Like, right. those kind of ports uh, are the ones that seem to be, uh, like, selling millions of units. I don't think people that played on a handheld, on a Nintendo handheld, are playing games for graphics, but more of gameplay. So, I think they sh- should have probably, uh, I don't know, did something to make it two players, in my opinion. But, you? Um, yeah, I, I would, I mean, it's it's difficult to say, because if they did restrain themselves, uh and really tried to make a game that would allow for two-player um, when two-player was not the typical way most people would play a Game Boy mm. Advance. Um, it's 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 tricky because then they would be satisfying the core fans, but they also would be restraining themselves in terms of what they would be capable of doing on the it's Game very Boy tricky. Advance. And I don't... And we, I don't think we'd be. T- I, I think we would be talking about this game still because it's Gunstar Heroes. But I don't think we would be talking anything about the visuals because we'd be like, well, you know, there were fewer enemies on screen, but you could play two player. And I have to wonder too if some of the graphical graphical effects would have been possible in two player. It's hard hard to say. Hard, yeah. It's we don't know. Yeah. Um, but it is surprising because, you know, the Game Boy Advance, I think the first games came out in 2002, and wow. I looked online, the last game was 2008. So... What was the last game to come out? 
Uh, the last Game Boy Advance game was called Samurai Deeper Kyo. Oh. I wish it was Cory in the House or something I like that. Like a legendary game. <laughs> I could um, be wrong, but it says 2008. But, you know, we're looking at a game here that came out in 2005. And life. that's really like... Like what? That's halfway through. So they yeah. really maxed out the console halfway through its lifespan, which is kind of impressive. Um, yeah. You know, like, wh- I'm trying to think of some other Game Boy Advance games that really impressed me graphically. and I think, I like, know, even the the port of OutRun on the Game Boy Advance, I'm surprised at how they even got that to work and look as good as it does. I don't know if you played that port yet. It's like it comes have, in a... Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was like... How do these this even look like this? Like I, it looks. I thought it looks better than Sega Genesis stuff. Like that, those ports that they try to do with scalar games. But maybe I'm crazy. Right. Am I crazy? No, you're the no, okay. sanest man yeah. I've ever spoken to. <laughs> the most. Yeah, you got it. I was gonna say yeah, but um, that's what I thought. You know, and you, you bring up Outrun there. So Gunstar Superheroes have actually had a number of elements that were removed from the final game. You know, we did talk Ooh. about all those Sega callbacks. But there mm-hmm. were even more. So there was axed music that included tracks from uh, Galaxy Force 2, Super wow. Thunder Blade, Afterburner 2, Altered Beast, E-SWAT, and Golden Axe. All music tracks from the games. Um, also omitted were characters from E-SWAT and Altered Beast, which are speculated to have appeared in Black's Dice Maze. Um, wow. So, I didn't know that one. Do you think... Yeah, so these this stuff got pulled pretty late in development. Do you think this was Treasure, or do you think this was Sega? And this is just speculation. Who who do you think made this call? Mm, no idea. No idea. But knowing the history of how this kind of stuff works, probably Sega. Because I mean, didn't we just have that story that the Streets of H Four development team wanted to uh, put uh, Joe Musashi from Shinobi in it, and Sega's like, no way. Maybe there's something yeah. here too, like that. But, but my thing is like Eswat is not that popular, so <laughs> just let them happen, in my opinion. Yeah, it's hard to say. I I have to wonder if Sega saw the development moving along and they were like, guys, we really appreciate the references, but this is your own game, so maybe not put these guys in there and this music in there. Also, going back to them saying if we were going to make a sequel, we'd have the original development team. Maybe they thought it was a little iffy to put all these overt references in a game. Like the actual characters. Right, like the actual characters and the actual music. And to be honest, like, it's cool and all, but it really, it, I mean, it's like Bayonetta had Sega references too, so what's the problem? But I think Bayonetta was a little more hidden Easter eggs, whereas here it's just straight up characters and songs from old Sega games appearing in a, in a sequel to a treasure game, which seems a little strange. Um, there was some other deleted content too. They had uh, uh, melee attacks for the final boss, gold and silver, um, as well as the ability for the players to kick and roll like Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, there were also, as I mentioned, early game designs for characters in the game, including a female red and, and uh, that's look the at how one in... we... there we go. Yeah, I and look how screen. cute she is. I actually, I mean, she's even wearing the pants that kind of looks look exactly like the, the original. Same. 
Yeah, mm. and like the only thing is that she's has them tucked inside her boots, and the boots are red, and you know, it's it's a different design. She has massive uh, boobs, not not massive. I'm just joking with you guys, but she has a big Whoa. head too that looks like um, the original uh, look yeah. of, of red. So this looks more like red. Even her hair looks like red. It's flat. It's not Super Saiyan. So you could tell this is more inspired by a you know female red, right? Yeah. I think it would have um, been cool. I wish it was a female red, but yeah, me too. I'm not bothered by the characters are so tiny on the screen. It's just, I don't know. I I'm always been a fan of like the male female character. That's cool, but whatever. Um, the game's music was by Non, N O N, AKA mm. Norio Hanzawa. And Hanzawa has a diverse portfolio that includes work with treasure games like the original Gunstar Heroes, Dynamite Heady, and Stretch Panic. He also did Sega's mm. Alien Soldier, which just had a vinyl release, which I'm wondering if he made a little money on that. Um, hopefully. Nintendo's, yeah, hopefully. Nintendo's Wario World and licensed games. This one was cool, like the Simpsons Arcade, and I can already hear that in my head, that brank, 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 when you put the coins in. Um, yeah. And Tiny Toon Adventures Scary Dreams for the NES. Though oddly, wow. his work his work dries up in 2009 with Sin and Punishment Star Successor. So Good game too. I, he's not dead, I don't think. No, he's sleeping. He's <laughs> but sleeping. I don't know what he's doing now. And this is kind of off off topic. But like, what do where do they get? How do they make money? Cause like I see Being celebrities. Um, well, I don't know. Like <laughs> I don't know. like I see I like uh, Hideki Naganuma, and like the guy's making some music, but like how is he making a living when I don't really see him doing many game soundtracks anymore or any music really? It, it's funny because uh, I was here here Hideo the guy that does Outrun. I remember yeah. when when I was looking, he kept on posting his uh, SoundCloud. And I started looking into it, and that guy is making music for, like, the weirdest things. Like, he, I remember he posted a Philips uh, washing machine that he made the sound effects for. So it's like, uh-huh. oh, that's cool. Like, I guess they do products over there sometimes. I mean, I don't know about uh, Naganuma. Mm. I think Naganuma right. right now is just a troll. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know what I his just, work is. I, I have to wonder if, like, I, I can't imagine they're making, like, money off of old album sales it's not like uh tiny tune adventures has a soundtrack out there for their nes game but it's just i i worry about these guys i want them to do well and so i just i get a little concerned when i see them not working for like 11 years but then like you said they're actually probably doing work it's just not in areas we suspect like we talked about seaman and they're like working in completely different areas right now and not out of work, you know. So it's yeah, it's hard to say. It's just I hope he's doing well because I like the game's OST. Uh, what's your favorite track? What you're gonna, you're gonna put that on me right now? Uh, I actually don't remember the tracks. Yeah. I do like the the die stage. I think there was one called uh, last time I looked it up. Neo City. Um, the guns track is really good. Um, some of the boss mm-hmm. themes are really well done. And that's kind of what I remember thinking when I heard it. I, I usually play the Game Boy Advance. It's weird. Like, 
almost mute. Like, it's so weird. Like, mine has, I have the original one, so I technically have the option for a, a headphone. But I don't do it that much, and I don't know why. When I use headphones for a long time, it makes my ears hurt, so I don't. But I actually, it's a, it's a, it's a good soundtrack, I would say. Uh, better than the first one. I think if uh, I say that, fans would uh, hate me for it, so I would say no. <laughs> what about you? <laughs> um, I, I, nothing really stands out as super catchy to me. Then again, I I sometimes play my Game Boy Advance like on silent, just because mm-hmm. I don't always have a headphone handy with the with the weird adapter. But um, I think the fact that they brought him back to work on the game really says a lot. I think the game itself. Here, I'll turn up the volume. It sounds nice. It sounds like a Game Boy Advance game, to be honest. Like, they all kind of... The first game I really played was uh, Sonic Advance, so every game after that sounds like Sonic Advance to me. Um, Oh, yeah. But it's cool. You can hear it, right? You know. Uh, Very adventurous. Um, So, yeah, all in all... Just solid overall soundtrack. I think any of the remixes that he's doing sound cool, just to hear them in a new style. Um, the tracks you mentioned stand out to me, too. But, um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, Green Hill, it's like Green Hill Zone, you know, like, nothing, you think, uh, nothing stint. You, you talked about how he just got a uh, release for uh, the data disc. You think that yeah. Sup- Gunstar Superheroes would be cool like i think it would be interesting to listen to the soundtrack without the limitations of the gba like maybe they have like a master version that would be pretty slick i think if they released that kind of like the um sonic rush tracks that were uncompressed that they released Mm -hmm. those were really cool yeah Um, like i heard those before i played the game and then when i went and played the game i was like oh man these sound bad it's like i'm like oh my gosh sounds like a a drive-through speaker but, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, as far as promotion for the game, I was unable to find commercials, but I did find a two-minute Japanese trailer. Ooh. Let's watch, like, the first, I don't know, 30 seconds. We don't need to kill ourselves here. Um, you wanna, and we can I, talk over I it. I think we do. Let me let me uh, center it. Tell me when you want to pre- press play. Let's do it in three, two, one. Sega. I know them. Treasure. I've never heard of them. Ooh, Japanese. I know that. 2D. I know that. GBA. I know that. I'm assuming it it says the best 2D game ever. That's what it says, right? Oh, maybe. Yeah. Like, do you think 2D was kind of like an anomaly at the time? Yeah. Probably. I mean... I don't know. I mean, not for the GBA. It was all 2D. I mean, they run through the the opening cutscenes and they show the new characters. So, music change. Yeah. It's cool. I, I love mean, they're the change- explosion effects. Sorry. Yeah, the effects are no, sick. Was- yeah. Yeah, and. Looking at some of these bosses, I'm reminded that first boss, if you shoot his hands, he goes like this. He goes, ah, you know, like he stops holding his thing and like shakes his hand like it hurt. Um, yeah. There's just These bosses cool... look a lot like the old ones. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. Look at that. Look at that. Slick. 
Look at the action, dude. It's, it's just ridiculous explosions everywhere. Yeah, the animations are just unreal. And I, I put it in my um, notes, but then I deleted it. But uh, they said when designing bosses, they always try to move away from robots and instead do things that are like animal or human based. And you're really seeing that here. Where it's like yeah. very fluid movements. Um, even if it is a robot, they want to move away from just like a mech walking across the screen. There you go. Ooh, 10th, uh, October 6th, 2005. Yeah, it's Gunstar Superheroes. I'm going to probably buy it. I think that's. So the game was actually called Gunstar Superheroes in Japan. I thought it had a different name in Japan. I thought it was like Gunstar Superheroes, something else in Japan, and then uh, whatever the hero one was for uh, uh, Europe. So, but man, finally that, we're that not one, the, that one. Yeah, we're not the odd the one end. out. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> you got to imagine that a lot of Japanese fans were watching this trailer. Going, oh my god, this looks awesome! It's back, and they go one player. Really? They shouldn't have said that. They should have just been like, shh, about it. <laughs> and, and lied about yeah. it. Yeah, just um, lie about well, it. Three characters in it. I mean, despite that, the game actually received really good reviews upon release. Fumitsu gave it an 85. EGM gave Damn it right. an odd 7.67 out of 10. I don't know why they do that. Um, <laughs> IGN, and, yeah, you like that? 7.67? Yeah. Uh, IGN was 9 out of 10. Uh, good old Nintendo Power was nine and a half out of ten, and Eurogamer, 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 gave it a five out of ten. And that's why they changed the like, title in, over there because of you guys. Yeah, right? <laughs> uh, the game was also named best GBA game of E3 2005 by several outlets. But mm. um, despite I look the at the praise, competition. The game did not sell well. In fact, uh, Nintendo Power, like in later issues, they kept trying to push people to buy it. I don't know if it was because Nintendo themselves were like, hey, we need to move this game, you know, start promoting it. Or if the writing staff was just like, this game's so good, guys. Please pick it up. It's the best game you're not buying. Um, Wow. I'm I'm looking at some of uh, the competition. All right. I just want to... And there wasn't too much competition, I think, like... I'm looking at the other games, and there were like Mario Tennis Power Tour, like uh, Drill Dozer, the Pokemon uh, Mystery Dungeon games came out that year, DK King of Swing, and some Mario, Mario Party Advance are like the ones that listed before uh, Gunstar Superheroes on Google. And they also hmm. did uh, Banjo Pilot. So, I mean, that's kind of interesting, but like, yeah, it is the best game released in 2005. No, no, doubt, no doubt about it. No doubt about it in my mind. So yeah. I, I would say yeah. I would say yeah. Unfortunately, Eurogamer, Eurogamer did not agree with you. Um, and it's kind of becoming a, a thing here where we read like a bad review. This thing yeah. was long. This review, blah, blah, blah. This guy. So one of my major qualms or beefs with reviewers is when they like write a review for a game they don't like, but then they keep interjecting, going, no, I know all the internet nerds want to cut my head off now, but I'm just going to say And I'm just like, dude, if you think your opinions are shit, then your opinions are probably <laughs> shit. Yeah. Like, maybe rethink what you're saying. You know, like, I don't want to offend anyone, but... And I'm like, well, then don't say what Shut you're going to say, because you're going to offend Yeah, me. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, so this guy, his big issue, he actually made some good points like we were talking about where it does not play like the previous game. Having said that, he did not seem to like like the direction it went at all. Um, he thought the Astro Boy game was hugely overrated, which is I like... I think a lot of people would disagree on the internet because like, I feel like it's probably one of the least talked about games on the Game Boy Advance. Like, I've never heard anybody that is not a Sega fan or a Treasure fan or a uh, uh, Sonic Team uh, aficionado or whatever uh, talk about this game and go and go to Astro Boy. Like, when's the last time you heard anyone talk about Astro Boy or be on a list of games? No, exactly. So so this guy, he says, uh, this game does not live up to the hugely overrated Astro Boy from the same development team and indeed appears to be equally overrated across the board apart from on this bit of it which will undoubtedly be hanged in the supreme kangaroo court of the internet it's less than an hour long it's like getting thrown out of the tapas restaurant of gaming only a quarter of the way through your meal a tiny morsel of each nice idea only manages to whet your appetite for that experience and then suddenly you're sat outside in an alleyway with nothing left to play it doesn't matter how well it might execute on these micro levels they're so brief as to have not been barely worth bothering with it cannot be said that the games are reviewed based on the nostalgia that may generate inside of you sprang through the pages of an album of photographs may flicker wonderful memories to light but it doesn't throw you back in time and have you relive that very moment there's approximately eight trillion games of this nature available for arcade emulation on mame uh so now he's saying that you should pirate that's what he's saying Okay. It's, he's um, saying a lot. Of, like, I guess this guy would have hated the Warrior Wario War games. I think what he doesn't understand is the appeal of this game is that there is so much packed into it that it's so replayable because you get these little moments. But it's not like you, you know. He says right here, it's less than an hour long. But do you really want in a fifteen-minute stage that's a callback to Thunder Force or Thunder Blade? No, no. And uh, do when I say it's a little short, I think a lot of the, I mean it's one of those games where it's like having a really tasty burrito and you want another one, but there is no other one being made. I, I get that feeling, but I feel like those kind of games that leave you wanting more are good games. Like I hate when I play a game right. and I'm like, bro, I was sick of this game twenty hours ago. Stop, just stop doing this already. And I feel like right. uh, sometimes you just want to sit down on a Game Boy for 10 minutes and and just play a level. Like, I feel like this game is perfect because you can play the original... You could play any level again and try to beat your score. I think that's what the game was made for. So you could, like, replay the levels right. and get better at them and then show people your score. Um, there, are, I guess that's where the arcade part comes from, I guess. I don't think scores are just arcade things, but whatever. But yeah, that's right. my thoughts on it. It's cool that he has his opinion, but I think 5 out of 10 for one of the best graphical games and not even bringing up the graphics, it's a little lame, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's and, and he also, he, he goes on too to like be like, he 
you you said like why is there a flicky thing in this but he was more like why am i even doing this why am i collecting birds this is so weird and i'm like what is the purpose of life (laughs) well like you either but that goes back to what i was saying like can we just enjoy a game being a game like it does not need to reflect real life like why are they collecting birds who cares is it fun yes and yeah you know, I, I just, I can't agree with this guy on the length thing because, you know, it's like a great album. Like, some of my favorite albums are like 40 minutes long. Do I want, would I have preferred to, to be a four-hour album? Probably not, because I would have gotten a bunch of songs that I didn't like. Like, you look at movies where people go, oh, it's a four-and-a-half-hour epic. And I'm just like, dude, I can't sit through that multiple times. I'll watch it once, twice maybe, but that's it. Um, yeah, but, and or I say like, uh, I say as the Lord of the Rings movies are sat right behind me. But you know. yeah, I know. I was about to say like there's only some few movies that I could sit down and like watch an extended amount of time. I think one of the first ones ever for me was like those Lord of the Rings extended cuts, and I think it was mm-hmm. more because I read the books. And when they did the extended cuts, I was like, oh, they showed that scene from the book. Sure, it was different, but like I always wondered like what happened to that one scene where. The guy on the two towers, I forgot his name, died. Why didn't they show that? Oh, and then they, it was in the extended right. cut. Yeah. So stuff like that's cool. Right. But like, to is the game short? Would I agree with him? Yes. Would I wanted it to be maybe like, I don't know, like an hour longer, maybe double the length? Sure. It would have been great if it, they kept the quality up for another hour. Um, right. Maybe add like double the amount, like eight, pl- like eight stages or something. Um, it would have been pretty slick. But... Still a pretty good game for what you get. I guess you now Absolutely. you guys know it's a little short. And uh, I, I guess we could just close it up and you could talk about your final thoughts on the game. Yeah, yeah. Um, were those your final thoughts? My final thoughts is that uh, if you have a Game Boy Advance and you haven't played this, I suggest you play it, especially if you like... I mean, if you like the first one, you're probably going to complain about it, but you've heard us talk about what's different. So going in, try to be open-minded and enjoy the references to Sega properties Enjoy the shooting, enjoy the graphics, enjoy the atmosphere, and and just have fun. I think it's a fun game. The bosses are cool looking, and I I mean I think everybody should try it at least. You, absolutely. No, I I agree with you there. You know, you need to if you're a huge Gunstar Hero fans, you probably already played this game. So really, I I think you're gonna enjoy it if you've never played this game because. It's different enough from the original that you're not going to be feeling same old, same old. If you're a fan of like games that just throw everything at the wall and sees what sticks, I think what's great about this game is almost everything does stick. Um, if you've played Sonic Mania recently, I actually think this mm. and that game have a lot in common. It's uh, kind of like a new spin on a classic game with a lot of new gimmicks that you otherwise would not have expected to be possible in 2D. And again, the callbacks are just really fun. So if you want to emulate this, go for it. But I think just it really works well handheld on the go. So if you have a GBA or a, what, a DS, it'll play that too. Um, yeah. Check it out. It's I think last I checked, I mean, I wouldn't buy it from them, but GameStop has them for 35 bucks. It's not terrible. You're not getting the box, but it's less than what it was when it came out. Um, So as far as memories, if you want to share your memories on 
any game we cover on this show. If you're a Patreon supporter at any level, you get to have your memories read at the end, no matter what. So, on this episode, we have one person with memories of this game. Again, probably reflecting how how poorly it sold um, when we have one person who actually remembers it. Uh, Nicholas Schaefer, he's written to us many times. He says, this is a gem I have not played. Wow. (laughs) Looking forward to the podcast. (laughs) Hopefully we can get it on Switch if Nintendo ever decides they want that virtual console money again. Well, you know what? I don't know if that's happening, Nicholas. Come on over here. Sega ages Gunstar Superheroes. Everybody, go and tweet Sega and tell them, I won Sega ages Gunstar Superheroes with two players. No, 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 no. No, screw that. Three players. I want yellow to be playable. And I also want a female red. Four players. Get it going. Come on. Let's wrap this up. He's getting crazy. All right, we'll see you on the next 50th episode of Sega Talk. Sonic 2. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Oh, no. And we're not recording. Oh, no.